You know, we're finishing up this week our study through the book of Colossians. And so we have spent the last five weeks looking at these four chapters, and we spent three weeks on chapter one alone, and then have moved much slower since then. Um, but, uh, but in chapter one, there was so much of a richness in who Christ is. We had to, to slow down and spend a lot of time just reminding ourselves that Paul is telling us Christ is above all. There is nothing that compares to the salvation we find in Jesus Christ. And that lays the foundation for the rest of the book. Because when we read the rest of the book of Colossians, we see chapter 2 and this division and how Christ can supersede this division. And then in chapter 3, we we read uh, last week about how God wants us to to focus on Him and Him alone. And then this week, we get to the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4 in a message we're going to entitle, uh, The The Transformed Christian Life. The Transformed Christian Life. The truth is, when we understand Jesus Christ from chapter 1, we should not be the same when we get to chapter 3 and 4. If we understand how great a Savior we have, our life should look different. I'll be honest, when I'm playing guitar, I normally am so focused on what's in front of me. Um, I am focused on uh, how I am uh, hitting the right notes or hitting the wrong notes, which is more often the fact. I'm focused on the order of the song to make sure I'm matching the rest of the band. And I'm really kind of focused on my, my tablet more than anything else. And so this morning I made a decision and tried to make a point to look out into the audience a little bit more. And I was a little more familiar with the songs than I was able to. And what I found was, um, I found that, that some of you worship much more calm than I worship. And that's okay. Um, but some of you, boy, when you know who Christ is, it just changes you. And so I I won't call people out because that's just not the right thing to do. Um, But what I I noticed was uh, one in particular person that I I almost started crying when I just saw them worship. You could tell something this morning had stirred them and they couldn't sit still. It's amazing what happens when Jesus Christ transforms your life. I'm having a little bit of tablet issue here, so I'm going to set this aside and grab my phone for my notes. But I want you to think for just a moment about how Jesus Christ has transformed your life. How it is that you are different now than you were before you knew who Christ was. And as you dwell on that, ask yourself, what is it that has caused your life to change? Why is there a drastic change? This morning, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 uh, through chapter 4, verse 6, and it will conclude our study in the book of Colossians. But as we read this, we're going to come across some passages and some words and some verses that you may or may not be ready to transform in your own life. So as we do, can we take a moment and remind ourselves who Christ is from chapter 1? And that if Christ knows what's best, are we willing to follow? Read with me, if you will, in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 18 and go all the way to chapter 4, verse 6. 
It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back as the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Going into chapter 4, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When we get to verses 3, 18 through 4, 6, we see Paul getting real practical. If Christ has changed your life, here are ways it ought to be changed. And so he gives us some guidelines in how we should be different. I've got two things in your notes, and, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you there are way more than two ways your life will be transformed. But I want to look at the two ways that Paul discusses in the book of Colossians. So if you, if you have a digital copy of your bulletin, you can grab that at fbcrobinson.com slash resources. Click on that link. It's going to pull up a detailed outline. Praise the Lord that I put a detailed outline because my tablet's not working, and you can see the notes I'm preaching out of this morning. Well, we're going to look at two ways that Christ transforms us, or Paul tells us in the book of Colossians. And the first is this. We have transformed relationships. In Christ, the way we interact with other people is different. I want you to think for just a moment the meanest person you've ever met. Don't say their name and don't point them out in the sanctuary, okay? But think about the meanest person you've ever met. I know exactly who pops into my mind. Every time I ask myself this question, it's the same teacher I had in middle school. I don't remember her name, but she was the meanest person I've ever met. Some of you all know someone. They just spew out hate. And they mean it maybe in a loving way, but no, they don't. They're just mean and judgmental, right? They're all churchy and, and dignified, and they use holy words, but man, they are just awful people to be around. You almost can't stomach to hear their conversations. When I think about the meanest person I've ever met, and I've asked several people this, typically in churches, especially when I ask this question, it's always somebody in their church or somebody in their family who is a believer in Jesus Christ and it always is followed with bless their hearts, they love the Lord they just are mean right can I tell you, it should not be that way why is it some of the meanest people we've met are people who bless their hearts, love the Lord when Jesus Christ 
saves us, he transforms how we interact with other people. It makes sense that we would have a a hateful spirit apart from Christ, a selfish attitude apart from Christ. It makes sense that we would have a judgmental and haughty attitude apart from Christ. But when we know Christ, our relationship should change. It shouldn't be the same. Paul goes through several relationships here, and I want you to follow along. We're just going to hit them quickly that should be changed when you accept Christ. The first thing he says in verse 18 is that your relationship with wives, husbands, your relationships with your wives should be changed. Wives, how you interact with your husbands should be changed. And that's what he says in verse 19. Husbands, the way you act should be different. You don't act the same as a lost person than you do as a saved person. Your relationship with your spouse must be different. Children, if you are growing in the Lord, your relationship with your parents must be different. I remember talking to a mother, it's been several years ago, about their child and their profession of faith in Christ. I had the privilege of baptizing them, and I remember her saying, I can't tell you how different things are at home. This was a young child. I can't tell you how different things are at home, how sweet my child has become, and, and how, how considerate towards their siblings and and honoring of their parents. I can't tell you what a change has been made. When you come to Christ, children, youth, the way you interact with your parents is different. It goes the other way. Fathers, in verse 21, and I will add, not just fathers, I believe parents, mothers as well, the way that you interact with your kids is different. You have more grace than a lost parent should have. You're ready to offer forgiveness and teach. You're ready to to love and nourish, not be harsh or unjust. In verses 22 through 25, he says, bond servants, how you relate to your masters is different. Can we just take a break for just a minute? Because it is 2020, and it's important that we understand what the Bible says about bond servants. Some of your translations may say slaves, and that is not a mistranslation. That is an accurate translation. A bond servant is someone who was indentured to someone else. A little bit different from how we recollect slavery in American history. There wasn't ownership per se, but there was indentured servitude. That was, you are not allowed to work for anyone except for me. And you are to do exactly like I tell you. The practice of it was just like we know of slavery, even if the ownership of it wasn't. And here, Paul says very clearly, and he actually takes several verses to elaborate. Bondservants, slaves, your relationship with your master should be different. Specifically, he talks about obeying your master out of love, not out of obligation, but because Christ loves you and you will show love to others. I do think it's important, especially in the heated culture that we live in, that we ask ourselves the question, what does the Bible say about slavery? And that's not what this message is about, but we can't skip it. We're not going to be soft and go, we're just going to push that in a corner and ignore it. Let's briefly address how Christ changes the relationship between a slave in Scripture and his master. For starters, I want to make very clear that the Bible nowhere promotes or even condones as a positive any aspect of slavery. What we find is the opposite all throughout Scripture, that the message God has for His people is that Jesus Christ has come to set you 
free. That is the message and the will of Jesus Christ. Not indentured servitude, not slavery or a bondservant. The message of Scripture is that God's will is for all those created in His image to be free. And yet we read all throughout the Old Testament, and again here in the New Testament, that there was active slavery during the time that the Bible was being written. I challenge you to find a verse anywhere to which God commends that to be good. You will not find it. Because God's will is that people be set free. However, the Bible often doesn't just talk about what you should and should not do on a large scale. The Bible gets incredibly practical at times. And so there is an acknowledgement that there are slaves and masters. And while that is not God's intention and God's will, there are ways to interact even though you live in a broken system and a broken society. What we find is down in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, uh, we, we meet a specific man named Onesimus. And with him, as Paul is sending his greetings, he's sending Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Don't forget that phrase right there. Onesimus is one of you. Back, back up one, Jordan. Onesimus is one of you, and they'll tell you everything that has taken place here. This man, Onesimus, is mentioned in Colossians, and this phrase, he is one of you, is highlighted for this reason and for this purpose. What we learn in another book of the Bible is Onesimus is one of these bondservants. He is a slave that has run away from his owner, Philemon. And so Paul is sending him back, but look, look at how Paul references him. He doesn't even call him a servant or a slave to the Colossian church. They would have been well aware that Onesimus had disappeared and run off and somehow gotten hooked up with Paul in this prison cell. He's not referenced as a slave here. What Paul says is Onesimus the slave should not be treated as a slave. He is one of you. What we read about in the book of Philemon is that Onesimus has come to Christ. He's become like a son to Paul. And Paul is sending him back. And Paul sends him back as a freed man in Christ. You can look on the screen or jot down in your notes Philemon 1.16. Actually, it's just verse 16. There's only one chapter. Read with me what this says. Go ahead and click the next one, Jordan. No longer is he being sent back as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially, Paul says to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. When we think about the Bible and slavery, this is a very important verse. Because Paul says we send him back as a brother, as someone who has been freed by Christ in two ways. The second way is in the Lord, in Jesus Christ, but he's sending him back as a brother in the flesh. He is no longer to be treated as your slave. He is now to be treated as your, your brother in Christ. Were there crimes he's committed that's made him a servant? We don't know. Was there a legal obligation for him to continue to serve Philemon? We don't know. 
Were there reasons why he would have continued to live in Philemon's house and and be his slave? We don't know. But what we know is it should be changed, the relationship that the slave has with the master now. It's no longer you are mine to boss around, but you are my brother in Christ. And so we find that the relationship even that is ungodly changes. The bond-servant relationship is now different. And likewise, in chapter 4, verse 1, we have a different relationship, master to bond-servant. There will be times that you have a position of authority and power that you will have the ability to abuse. It will be perfectly legal and maybe even some ways encouraged for you to flex your muscle of power. And when that happens, we are to say we have a different relationship with those under our authority. It's not as if we lord over people. Instead, it's as if we humbly submit and say, Lord, you are the master. And so I'm going to love everyone, even those I have authority over. Every relationship that we have, every relationship that we carry on this earth, must be transformed and different. We can do sermon after sermon about how wives should interact with husbands and husbands should interact with wives, about parents and children, about authorities and those under authorities, about slave men and free men. But here's what Paul wants us to know in his quick fire way of speaking. Whatever relationships you have cannot be the same once you know Christ. So let me ask, how are your relationships different because of Jesus Christ? But what are ways that you are transformed? I want to offer you several things, and you can jot these down, several ways that your relationships, whether it's with a spouse, a child, a parent, an authority, or whatever it would be, your relationships would be different. One, in Christ, you should put others first. Your relationship is no longer about power and what you can get. It's about serving and what you can give. Your relationships are different because it's not about you. It's about other people. Secondly, your relationship should be changed because of a humility. You no longer are trying to earn anything or build yourself up. You're trying to humble yourselves and you're trying to put others first. You should have a humble attitude in your relationships. When we think about how we naturally want to react, it always boils down to our way of thinking versus someone else's way of thinking. I think the best way to illustrate this is trying to decide with your spouse where to go out to eat. Have you ever had an argument about where you're going to eat dinner? Um, Usually our arguments go like this, and you tell me if this is how yours work. What do you want to eat? I don't care. What do you want to eat? All right, well, how about we pick up monocles? No, I don't want monocles. Okay, that's fine. Well, where do you want to go? I don't care. You pick. How about about barbecue? That sounds pretty good. Nah, barbecue gives me acid. I don't think I want barbecue. Okay, well, where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Right? And you go back and forth, and finally, uh, someone throws up their hand and says, that's fine. We'll just starve, and then that's the end of it, right? Is that how your conversations go about eating out and picking up food? Or is that just me and Hannah? I'm not going to tell you which one of us is which on that, by the way. That's not important. But what we find is we have in our mind what we want, and we just want the other person to figure it out, right? You keep guessing until you finally hit the right one. Well, I guess it was Hardee's. (laughs) I don't know. It's a nice date for us tonight. I, I don't know. 
We have in our mind, this is what I think everyone should be already thinking about. You should know what I want to eat and guess it correctly. And when you don't, well, I'm going to be upset. Our relationships now say it's not about what I want to eat, or it's not about you guessing what I want to eat. It's It's about eating together, right? It's about being together. And so what our conversation should do, and, and I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm normally the guilty one of, of throwing my hands up in, in frustration. What our conversation should be is, I'm happy just to be eating together, right? This is how Christ transforms our relationship. It's not about, about me. It's not about my wants. It's not about my desires. It's about humbly submitting to the needs of others. This isn't just with your spouse. This isn't just with your children. This is every relationship you carry. Paul says every relationship should be transformed. But it's not just how we interact with people. Our own personal spiritual growth must be transformed as well. We have transformed disciplines. Transformed disciplines. And so there are several ways that Paul says we are transformed in the way that we work and live. Go ahead and click the next one, Jordan. Transformed in the way we act in society. And so in chapter 4, he gives us a couple of different ways that we are now different. Look with me in uh, verses 2 through 4 again. Let me just read that or pull it up in front of you. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He says, your life in talking to God should be different. Your prayer life is transformed. Our prayer and our spiritual disciplines are now different. I want to confess something to you. um, I'm not a power prayer. You know, there are some usually godly women in the church and prayerfully more godly men as he raises them up who are just amazing people of prayer you know you can go to them and they will be on their knees praying for you. I know people in this church that I can go to. And if I say, will you pray for this? I know that they will spend not just minutes, but lengthy amounts of time, days and weeks and even months if it takes, praying for me and for my needs. I'm not wired that way. I struggle with my prayer life sometimes. I set reminders on my phone I've encouraged you to do the same for specific prayer requests, right? Because because I need God to tell me or remind me the things I need to be praying for. But as we are transformed in the word, prayer becomes more and more natural. You, You know what I've discovered? When I go lengths of time without praying, prayer seems unimportant to my life. But when I daily spend time reminding myself to pray and I miss it, I miss that prayer time, I'm lacking and I'm hurting and my life for that day is incomplete. It's not that I find my day is ruined because God sends all of these curses on me and my car breaks down or runs out again. It's nothing like that. It's just this understanding that I've not talked to God today. It's not always I've not told God what I need or what I want, but it's like when I go a lengthy amount of time without talking to to someone I care about and love. It's, Lord, I've missed you today. Whether you are a person who spends hours and hours in prayer or a person who spends minutes of of prayer just saying, Lord, in this moment, I want to talk to you. I, I hope and pray that as you grow in the Lord, your communication with him grows steadily. That you are are someone who craves and desires 
that time alone with God. He goes on in the next verse to say it's not just prayer, but, but specifically it's prayer for purpose. Uh, look what he says in uh, verse uh, 3. At the same time, pray also for us. Why? That God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. Paul says your evangelistic heart should change when you know the Lord. You should care and value the salvation of other people. I will say, I, I hope and pray that each one of us understands the significance of a lost person dying without Christ. We had a brief conversation in our small group this morning, and it, it, was, it was really in-depth about not wishing hell on anybody ever. There is no joy in our worst enemy spending eternity apart from Christ. I think in my immaturity, I, I used to think of some of the evil people in history, Adolf Hitler or, or whoever you'd want to fill in there, and they deserve eternal punishment and they deserve the wrath of God. As you grow in your faith and you mature, you know what you realize? I deserve the wrath of God and I deserve eternal punishment. As we grow in our faith, we, we ask, Lord, give us a heart to open the door because I don't want to see anyone, anyone, apart from an eternal relationship with you. As we, we think about our transformed lives, our disciplines change. Our prayer and our spiritual disciplines are different. We want to spend time praying to God. We want to spend time in His Word. We want to spend time sharing that Word with others. What we do spiritually changes. Our priorities shift. can't tell you how many times I've tried to have a conversation with Hannah and she's over on her phone and she's typing like crazy and I'm going, why can't we have a conversation until I realize? I'm going to just put her down. Let me pick her up a second. Hold on a second. I'm responding to someone who has a question about the word. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad she prioritizes those moments and those times to share the word of God with others. I can wait. Because what is the most important thing you can share with another human being? how they can know Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him. Our transformed lives become, become people who are seeking out others, whether it's person to person, whether it's family to family, whether it's digital to digital. How am I transformed to share the word with other people? But it's not just our spiritual disciplines. Paul then says it's our wisdom and our practical disciplines as well. The things that we do, not just how we interact with, with God, but how we interact in our daily lives. That's why in verse 5 he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best of the time. Walk in wisdom. We see over and over in Scripture this action word for walk, do something. The way you live, the way you carry yourself should be rooted in wisdom. Your life ought to reflect the principles of the word that you should be studying. Your life ought to be transformed and different so that outsiders look at you and see that you have changed. We've said it over and over and over again. The problem with our country and our society is not the fact that we live in an evil society. That's problem enough. But the biggest problem is that there are Christian people who do not walk what they profess. That's why God tells us, do you want to change a culture? Do you want to change a society? Do you want to see revival in a hurting and broken land? 
it's not ever accomplished because a lost world decides to start doing good things. It's accomplished, according to the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles 7.14, when my people, the people of God, humble themselves, when they pray, when they turn from their wicked ways, when they walk in wisdom and start lining up with the Word of God, it's then that God hears from heaven and heals the land. In Christ, you should look different. We get picked on quite a bit. Ah, That's not fair to say. Not picked on. But we have been uh, picked on some because of our choice for homeschooling our children. Our church is very supportive, and I'm thankful. We have friends all over the country, and some of them are not so supportive. You want to know the number one complaint we get when we talk about homeschooling our children? Aren't they going to be so different? They're not going to be like all the other kids. You know what my answer to that is? Praise God. (laughs) I am so thankful that my children will be distinct and different from the world. Isn't that something we should strive for? And by the way, your children in a public school system, you should hope and pray that they look so different at school that someone looks at them and says, what's different about them? They're not the same as everyone else. We should be walking in our daily lives that we stand out in the world. We should be so different because of the principles of the word of God that society is forced to go, I either want what they have or what they have is is something so radical that it requires a life change and sacrifice to do. We are called to walk in wisdom, walk in a way that changes our lives, but not just how we walk, also how we talk. Verse 6 Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He ties in the evangelism there, but I I think what I really love about this ordering of Paul's verses is normally we're so worried that we back up our talk with our actions. Paul gets it backwards. He says, some of you, some of you are so rooted in walking in wisdom and being different that you spew nothing but evil, hateful, judgmental, selfish words. Some of you are walking how you should walk, and praise the Lord for that. But Paul says, don't forget how you're interacting with others. Let your speech be gracious, be loving. My mouth often goes faster than my brain. It comes out of my sermons often, and I'm sure that you're, there are times that you scratch your head because you say, did he really just say what he said? comes out of my everyday conversations all the time, and there are plenty of times where I'm talking to someone and I realize that what I'm saying is is not just hurtful, but it's, it's judgmental and mean. There's truth behind it, but I'm accusatory. I assume the worst in people, and so I, I start spewing hateful words. I do this with my wife and my children, and I have to come back and repent. I do this with church family members. Shortly after we came to First Baptist, um, Debbie and Tracy Knight had gotten tickets to the Final Four, and Kentucky was really good that year. We were undefeated, and and they had tickets to go watch them play in Indianapolis. And just joking around with them, I looked at Debbie. We'd only been here for a couple of months, and I said, well, I kind of hope that you fall down and break your legs so you can't go all those stairs, and I can go to the Kentucky game with Tracy. And we all kind of had a laugh, and they laughed, and I laughed, and I got home, and I said, did I really just tell a new church member that I hope she breaks her leg? What we find is our our mouth moves so much faster than our brain. 
that our words sometimes come out with good intentions, with humor, maybe even with truth in some circumstances, but they're hurtful. I did, by the way, go back and apologize to Debbie. She was not offended, praise the Lord, but that was a horrible thing to say. Paul says, sometimes you're walking the way you need to walk, but your mouth is not matching it. Sometimes you're hateful and you're mean and you're judgmental. And can I say, there's not a better, better description of our culture right now then our speech is not gracious, it's not seasoned, it's not merciful and humble and just. When we are in Christ, our words should be different, our speech should be different. What Paul is saying is our whole lives should be transformed. If you can say there's nothing different between you as a lost person and you as a believer in Christ, you need to ask, Lord, do I really know you and have a relationship with you? So this morning, as we, we wrap up our thoughts about a transformed life in the book of Colossians, let's tie it back to chapter 1. Do you know how great and amazing Jesus Christ is? Do you understand how transforming a relationship with him would be? Do you understand there's a creator of all things, he cares about you and wants a relationship with you. He wants to change you in such a way to restore you to the image that he created you to be. I'm going to pray, and I want you to say, Lord, how are you transforming me today? Father, we thank you so much that you don't leave us the same. Lord, we ask that as we grow in our faith, that you would change the way we interact with people, change our relationship with our spouses, with our children, the the way we interact with authority, or the way we interact as an authoritative figure. Lord, be with us as we We try to deal with people who have hurt us and we deal with people who who have wronged us. Lord, help us to be different in how we interact with our relationships. Lord, also in our daily living, let us us in our spiritual disciplines be faithful to lift you up in prayer. Let us be faithful to to talk to you regularly, to be in your word and to know you, to to share that word with others. Lord, let our spiritual lives and our spiritual priorities be changed. And Lord, Lord, let how we walk, how we live, reflect a new life. And Lord, let the words that come from our mouth point to your glory. Father, we ask that you would teach us and guide us. Help those who do not have that transformed life to understand the greatness of of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us submit to you this morning in salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.